I know we still got a couple people filing in. I saw some cars pulling up, but just for the sake of time, since we are on a abbreviated schedule tonight, we're going to go ahead and get started. <clears throat> um, I want to thank everyone for making an effort to be here. I know about everybody and their mother is sick, uh, but we're we're glad y'all could make an effort, and I hope it'll be uh, you'll find it'll be good and productive. Um, also, thank everyone who's been calling and asking and checking on Luke. He's uh, yeah, we weren't here Sunday night. Sunday was kind of our first real hospital visit with him, so it was a little scary. I'm not gonna lie, but uh, he's all right. He's at home. He's breathing better. Um, Mom is sick too, so she's with him. But I appreciate all the kind words over the last few days. Um, so tonight, uh, our, our schedule tonight, for the most, from what I understand, we're going to go to about 7.20, uh, talking about Colossians. Uh, so we'll be staying with that on our schedule tonight, so you can go ahead and start turning there in your Bibles. <clears throat> last week, uh, last week we finished up chapter 2, and uh, what I want us to do is kind of reflect on some of the things we talked about on the entirety of the chapter, um, and, and then we'll introduce some of the ideas in chapter 3, and this kind of works out in our favor, uh, because the first four verses of chapter 3 really serve as a transition between chapter 2 and the rest of what he's going to talk about in chapter 3, so we'll kind of cover those and the implications, those of, uh, the implications of those four verses, as well as reflect on what we've talked about over the last several weeks to the entirety of chapter 2, and that'll leave us next week to kind of handle verse 5 through, I'll say, about 11 or 12 on its own, and we have a bit more time. <clears throat> so, we'll, uh, we'll start, if someone doesn't mind reading just from verse, uh, the, the very, reread the end of chapter 2, if someone doesn't mind reading verse 20 through verse 23, because I got some questions that I wanted to reflect on, kind of based on our discussion from last week. Verse 20 to 23 of Colossians 2. So, uh, to kind of recap, I'll have a couple questions for you guys in a minute, but to kind of recap, we, we talked about how Paul mentions uh, all of these things that he mentions really in verse, you know, verse 18 and verse 20 and verse 23 are all uh, really what we would call legalism. He calls them kind of traditions, uh, self-imposed religion. He calls them a lot of different things, and he says they're wrong for three different reasons. In uh, the entire second half of this, he talks about how they're a shadow of things to come. They should point to Christ. They should point to Christ who is the substance, who's the real thing. Uh, they offer sort of this puffed-up sense of sensuality, as in it's not, um, not sensuality, but spirituality, meaning it's not real. It's not based in truth, but it's based in uh, self. Based in self. It's, it's false. It's hollow. Um, Self-imposed religion, false humility, as was read in verse 23. And the third reason is that, uh, I don't think it was in the section that we just read, it's really in verse 19. The third reason these things are useless is because they don't come from Christ. Uh, they're, they're based in the traditions of man, and 
as verse 19 kind of reads, uh, true spiritual spiritual growth is found in Christ. So, uh, before we get into chapter 3, because like I said, that's going to kind of serve as some of our transition from what we've been talking about chapter 2 to chapter 3, uh, I want to recap some of these big ideas we've been talking about. So he, he talks about legalism a lot in this immediately preceding section, how, uh, like we mentioned, they're, they're, they're false, they're a shadow. Um, how can we... Or, or do you, maybe I'll, I'll start by saying, do you, do you feel like this is something we can apply to our perspective? And we've talked about this a, a little bit here and there over the last few weeks, but how can we apply this? I mean, we're not Jews, right? We don't celebrate the Sabbath. We don't celebrate the feast or the festival, the new moon necessarily. But what can we take away in terms of what Paul is speaking about in these last few verses? There's a, there's a mentality we really spoke against a few different times. Um, something we talked about was this idea of checklist Christianity that I think a lot of people can fall into that we can fall into um, you know, even though it's not necessarily Jewish as explicitly as some of the things Paul mentions in this section uh, we can still find ourselves you know, where my faith or my uh, involvement is based on well did I show up right? did I, did I say the right things did I do the right things and we'll see as chapter 3 begins that what Paul is talking about is so much more than just checking boxes and just, uh, you know, war- warming a seat in the pew, so to speak. <laughs> um, um, so that would, that would go back to probably what he, the same thing he calls it and sort of explains on from like verse 16 to 18 where um, it's funny because we use religion differently than probably as Paul really means it here. He's basically saying... It, it's a it's a fake sense of like making yourself feel really spiritual. I would kind of call it almost holier than thou ness, if I was to put it in kind of a modern, somewhat modern uh, turn of phrase. You know, we're we're the uh, the passage we mentioned the last week a couple weeks ago was uh, from the Gospel of Luke, where, he had, where the Pharisee is praying and he's like, "Oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all these sinners." And he's one of those. He's saying by the words he's saying. You would think, oh, maybe he knows what he's talking about, but his heart is so not in the right place. You know, he's he's being very magnanimous, very puffed up, very fake, <laughs> like really just really trying to tell everybody how cool and spiritual he is compared to everybody else. And uh, he's talking about that. And then the other thing I would say he's talking about um, it is a very specific teaching that we don't see a lot of, but it was called asceticism, and it was this idea that. Uh, everything that had to do with the flesh was worthless, was sinful, um, and that by punishing my body physically, I could rid myself of those temptations from sin. And so if I put myself through these physical punishments, it could somehow make me more spiritual and make me less fleshly and less sinful. And that's what, that is really what he's specifically talking about when he says self-imposed religion and uh, neglect, or some translations say debasement of the body. And that's why he says those are of no value. Does that make sense? Good question, though. So yeah, even though we don't, we, we probably don't know anybody who practices asceticism. This was more common among certain sort of fringe European monk type folks, even later than Paul's time. But we still have people who we would say fall into that self-imposed religion, who like to say they go, you know, how much more spiritual they are than everybody else. And so we've got to be careful about that sort of thing. 
Um, so some of the other consequences, just again, if we're looking at all of chapter 2, this kind of goes back to uh, around verse 11 through 13. But if we are complete in Christ, because if you remember, we've been talking this whole time, some of the big themes and the ideas are really a faith that is based in Christ, right? And if you remember in the first chapter, he talks about all of these things that Christ is, all the power that Christ has, all that he is. And so a faith that is really based in Christ, we don't need all these other things. You don't need to make yourself feel puffed up. You don't need a fake sense of spirituality. You don't need some of this other stuff we put on top of it. Um, I just realized I am already like halfway through the time that I said I would take. So we're going to go ahead and read Colossians 3. If someone could read for us uh, Colossians 3, verse 1 through 3. Thank you. So, uh, we've certainly heard Colossians 3, 1 before, right? Set your mind on things that are above where Christ is. Um, and he's doing a couple things with this. He, he's really making a comparison that, again, we've been talking about the whole letter. He says, if you are raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. So Christ is above. Christ is in heaven. Christ is not on earth. And that's why he says, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. So even though he doesn't explicitly say it, he's basically saying if, if you are focused on worldly things, on fleshly things, on things that are down here, it's going to be very hard for you to be in the perspective or in the mindset that Christ would want you to have or in a Christ-like mindset. <clears throat> Something else that uh, I kind of noticed when we were studying this, if you notice, verse 1 says, seek those things which are above. And when I... When I think about this, and maybe this is just me, um, but if I ask you what does it mean for you to seek the things that are above, we would probably all list things that we do, right? You would say, well, how do I seek things above? Like, well, I go to church, I worship, I, very, I try to pray, I try to read my Bible. And we would all kind of talk about our actions naturally. But what's super interesting to me is the very next sentence Paul says actually addresses your mind. He says, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things that are above not the things that are on the earth. And I think in the context of verse 2, he's, he's very explicitly talking about some of those things um, in verse 23 that we were just going on about in detail. But at the same time, he's saying, how do you seek things that are above? Well, it's not only just what you do. It's not only your actions. It's not only your words. But he's saying, really, you can have your mind set on things above just in kind of uh, your mentality, your approach, your attitude, if that makes sense. Um, I, I just think that's kind of fascinating because that, that quote, you know, that, that phrase from verse 1, seek things that are above, I think it's thrown around a lot. It gets used a lot. It's very popular. Um, but what verse 2 immediately addresses is also our mindset. And if you might remember many, many weeks ago, we talked a lot about being Christ-like in our mentality and in our attitude and just, you know, e even being disciplined spiritually in our thoughts and in the way we see people and the way we see things. Um, I mean, those, those classic high school wall posters, right? So your character is based on your actions and your actions are based on your words and your words are based on your thoughts. Um, that's where it all starts. So we, you know, we need to be disciplined in those too and not just rely on the idea that well, as long as I'm doing the right things, I'm doing, I'm doing everything I need to do. Doing the right things are great. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's, that's a good start. 
but recognize that if you're doing the right things, but your heart is not changed and your mind is still maybe not changed or is resistant to some of the teachings of Christ, we're not really being fully as obedient or as uh, Christ-like as he would like us to be. Questions, thoughts, comments so far before we keep going? I know we don't have a ton of time, but... I think if you set your mind on things that are above, all those other things will happen automatically. Absolutely. If you get your mind on Christ and what you should be doing, everything else should fall in place. Because your mind is what works everything as far as what you need to do. Try not to burst everybody's eardrums while I take the jacket off and the microphone. Yes. Oh, come on. Completely agree. Absolutely. It, and yeah, I, I don't want to. Yes, and, and we'll see that as we look at the rest of the chapter. He very much does. I mean, that's really, um, that's really what will serve. Again, like I said, this is kind of what's going to transition us from him saying, you know, you just need Christ. And because you just need Christ, you don't need all these traditions that the Jewish people are trying to force on you. You don't need all these weird philosophy ideas. You don't need all this ascetic practices. And he's going to go on to say, not only do you not need that, but if you are living a life that is fully based only on Christ, here is what your life should look like. So, so you're right. It, it, it's not one at the expense of the other. I just thought it was kind of interesting. I was talking to somebody about this verse in uh, just that, like I said, I, I use that phrase a lot. I think about it a lot. That idea, seek the things which are above. I think all of us, we would naturally talk about what we do. You know, we would talk about the things we do. We would talk about how involved we are, how often we attend church, or maybe what we do outside of church in the community. But the next thing he mentions is actually, he says, it starts with your mind. And so I just think that's really, really interesting. Like, in, Just like you pointed out, Mike, I think um, if, if you start with that, the rest will fall into play. But if you get focused on just sort of doing the right things, I think without changing your heart, I think that's how you can fall into sort of what I would call a checklist view of Christianity, which is really what Paul's been talking about for the whole chapter. Does that kind of make sense? I know I'm, try I'm trying to cover a lot of ideas in a short span of time, so if it doesn't, feel free to tell me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we should be changed. We should be new. We should be in, you know, he's, he's been, that's the thing that's been going through the entire letter as well, that we're changed in Christ, we're new in Christ, we're transformed in Christ. So um, we'll keep going. We'll talk about verse 3 and 4 for the, the couple more minutes that we have. So he said, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this is kind of a, all of the, the chapter really follows this sort of if-then structure that he says, you know, look, if you were raised with Christ, which we know from earlier in the letter means if you are baptized, if you are a Christian, you should seek the things that are above, you should set your mind on things that are above, 
and you should have this hope and this belief and this strong, strong faith that your life is, as he says, hidden with Christ. And then uh, we've, I'm trying to remember exactly what the context was. This has come up before. But he says, we should have hope that Christ, when our life appears, that we will appear with him. And he kind of mentions it in passing. But again, he's, he's been talking about how Christ is central to everything. I like how verse 4 puts that because you don't, I don't, that's not a phrase I think that I see a lot in the Bible. But he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. So really, he's just really, really hammering home how, how Jesus should be at the center of so much of what we do. And, and like, uh, like was mentioned, um, this kind of goes back to those ideas we've talked about before about thankfulness and hope. Right? That if, if I have a true appreciation for everything Christ has done for me, how am I not going to have faith? How am I not going to have hope? How could I be anything but optimistic and forward-looking in my faith? And so he says, this should give us this faith that uh, when Christ appears, we will appear with him. Um, someone read for us Romans 6, 4 through 5. And I think I am just about out of the time I said I would take. Romans 6, verse 4 and 5. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Exactly. Thank you. So just as we share in his death, certainly we will share in his resurrection. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to say if, we, if you have comments, thoughts, write them down, text me, call me. <laughs> I'd love to have further discussion with you, but I think we've got to move on to what we promised we would talk about here.